Stinging waves, fox beard, look is action very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Beat your bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fock is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Welcome to episode 536 of, I'm sorry, 538 of Trek Talking. We are live right now, so you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking at 646-668-2433. We would love to hear from you. And just for calling, we're going to give you a Blu-ray copy of Strange New World Season 1. So you can celebrate Season 2 by reliving Season 1. If you are listening to us on any other day than now, you can go to trektalking.com, and in the bottom right-hand corner, you will see a blue talkback mic. Click on that mic and leave us a message and tell us what you think about tonight's episode of Strange New World, which is The Broken Circle. That's the one we're going to be talking about. And if you do that, I will still send you a copy of Strange New World Blu-ray Season 1. So there's two ways you can win. You can use our talkback mic, or you can call right now. All right, we have a lot to talk about tonight, guys. We've got a very, very busy schedule. We're going to be talking about The Broken Circle, which was the premiere episode of Strange New World Season 2, which aired last week. We're going to talk about that very, very shortly. We also have our Star Trek birthdays, our fan shout-outs, and hopefully we'll have enough time to get around to Star Trek news. So we have a busy show. Before we get too far, I want to let you guys know that we have 144,942 uh, followers on our Facebook page. So that is awesome. And uh, 125,150 downloads of this podcast. Thank you so much for making that possible. I want to go around real quick and introduce to you my awesome Trek first, and we'll start off with the one guy who's not in Portland, and of course I'm talking about Charles, who's out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Well, I think Jim's not in Portland. Just hanging out no, in Portland, I am, Maine. No, I am not in Portland. I'm, I'm up here in Vermont, up in the sticks. <laughs> well, so. we're... We're basically sitting here scratching our heads, not understanding what's going on with uh, nature. We are actually yeah, in shock. We're actually in shock to the fact that 
We still haven't seen 100 degrees yet. We've seen 98, but we haven't seen 100 yet. And we might see 100 by Monday, but that's unusual temperatures that we rarely ever see not getting our hundreds at, as, as almost July. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And uh, now we're going to swing over to our Portland contingency. And we'll start off with David, the donut guy. How you doing, David? Uh, pretty good. So it's been so long since I've been, you know, finally back. But, uh, yeah, it's getting pretty warm over here now. It's uh, starting to see some summer sunshine, so. It's those damn donuts, David. You got you to gotta drop the donuts and step back. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and continuing with our Portland theme, we're going to talk to Eric. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I'm doing okay. It is nice and toasty here in Portland today, and so I'm uh, – you know, just dealing with it. I don't like the heat, but it's okay. It's okay. At least we're getting a little taste of summer. <laughs> you will never hear me complain about the heat after this this winter that we had. Bring it on, baby. Bring it on. <laughs> at least, Eric, at least you're not getting you guys the triples again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no fun either. No. No. I know you guys got and, here with that last year, and that was miserable. Yeah. And wrapping up our Portland trifecta, we have our very own toy guy, Paul. How you doing tonight, Paul? Hello, baby. I am doing good. I'm going to go out of my way to not talk about the weather. <laughs> okay. So, but doing well. Good. Doing well. Uh, looking forward to the weekend. Um, things are going good here. It's been productive. It's been exciting. And uh, I think we're all in need of a little track talking today, it sounds like. I think we're all in need of something to focus on. So it's a good thing to be together. I I couldn't have said it any better myself after the week I had. I'm dying to talk some track, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to be talking about Strange New World, the Broken Circle, the return of the Klingons, very, very shortly, so please have your have your questions and comments ready and give us a call, 646-668-2433. But before we do that, let's get started with some fan shout-outs. What do you say, Eric? That sounds like a plan. Uh, so let's see. Our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to top fan Victor Greer, who's saying hello to us from... Maidstone in Victoria, Australia, way down under. Top fan status means that Victor interacts with us a ton on our Facebook page, and we really appreciate that. So thank you so much, Victor, for listening to the podcast and for supporting us down there in Australia. But that's not the only person from Australia. We've also got top fan Jeff Wheatley we're saying hello to, who's saying hello to us from Tasmania. So hello, Jeff, and thank you as well for carrying that trek-talking flag down under. Also saying hello this week to Damien Monaghan, who's saying hello to us from Dublin, Ireland, and sends us a little Irish flag. So, Damien, hello to you, and uh, thanks once again for listening to our podcast over there in Ireland. And my final fan shout-out goes out to Daniel Spunkbubble Howell, who's saying hello to us from West Bromwich, England. Charles, who do you want to say hello to? 
Well, let's start off with the warm greetings to Roger Banks in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, some crazy weather going on in the south. Uh, warm welcome to Cynthia Dunway, Dunaway from Southern California. Okay, Cynthia, what part of Southern California? That's a lot of space. Welcome to Lewis Godfrey from Clear Lake City, which is Southeast Houston, Texas. Welcome, Lewis. And also welcome to Natalie Perkerson from Arkansas. Welcome, Natalie. David, who's on your list? I bet you got somebody nearby. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, first, I'd like to say thank you for uh, uh, to uh, Joy Holmes in Oregon, USA. Next is Bob McGuire from Northwest Indiana. And top fan, Jerry Suits. Suits. I think is how you pronounce it. Sorry if I uh, pronounced it wrong. Uh, from Dayton, Ohio. And last on my list is LeVon Carter from Texas. Paul, who's on your list? All right, friends. Well, it's always great to be able to show our appreciation to, to fans across the world. Uh, I'd like to start off with a greeting to top fan Johanna Gerzelak, who is uh, at the crossroads of Europe in Poland phenomenal country and uh, is displaying the uh, Polish flag proudly on their uh, greeting to us. Wonderful to hear from you, Ioana, and thank you for being a fan of the show and all things Star Trek. Not too far down the road from Johanna, it's Anne Hawkinson from Sweden. Fantastic place. I know a lot of us on the show are eager to make a trip to your part of the world, Anneli, so wonderful to hear from you. Uh, other end of the hemisphere, on the other side of the planet, we're hanging hello to Bronwyn Dargaville from New Zealand. Now, I'm not sure which of the islands that uh, Bronwyn uh, resides on, but uh, either one, Bronwyn wins because New Zealand's a pretty fantastic place and full of fantasy and science fiction fans from what I've gathered. So, wonderful place to hang your hat. And lastly for me, I'd like to extend a warm trek-talking kapla and welcome to Diane Princess Parrot of the Takla Lake First Nations in northern British Columbia, Takla Landing. It is absolutely wonderful to hear from you, Diane. Uh, I was, uh, British Columbia is not too far up the road from a few of us here in Oregon, so we think of ourselves as being neighbors uh, with you, a magnificent place to spend time and an awesome place to live. So, Diana, thanks for being a Trek fan, and thanks for being such a fan of the show. Great to hear from you. And I'll pass it over to Uncle Jim. All right. Thank you, Paul. I have a bunch of top fans here that I want to say thank you to. And how do you become a top fan? By interacting with us on our Facebook page. So I want to say thank you and kapla to top fan Joey Woodland, who's listening to us in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right here in the U.S. of A. Thank you, Joey. I also want to say thank you and kapla to yet another top fan, Robert Tedeschi, who's listening to us in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And another top fan, we want to say thank you to Crystal Malakowski, who's listening to us in Buffalo, New York. I hope the snow has melted by now. Um, 
yeah, that was crazy, crazy snow. So I hope you've all dug out and you're sitting back and you're enjoying some trick talking. And last but not least, another top fan. Thank you so much to Edward Kelly, who's listening to us in Davenport, Iowa. If you would like to be a top fan, just head over to our Facebook page and pin to the top of the page. You will see the Live Long and Prosper, and just tell us where you're listening from. If you see a heart next to your name from your truly Uncle Jim, then you will be featured in a future fan shout-out. Another way you can become a top fan, speaking of interacting with the page, um, every Friday, I don't do it until Friday, um, I put up a post on our Facebook page asking you guys, of one to ten and then i pick out ten lucky listeners we read your comments right here on the air to come up with a fan score for the episode so eric do you want to get us started on our fan scores for this week I would love to do that. So uh, top fan Helen Reese gave it a four. She says, I don't think young Spock would ever steal a ship or show so much emotion. Older Spock, yes. It felt forced and contrived, a pity, because he had high, because I had high hopes for the show. Top fan Samuel Schmick said a ten because it's an awesome season opener, and they did it without the series' main star. I love getting to know every character well in Star Trek. Top fan Dan Anderson said he'd give it an, a 7. I didn't really care for the weird quirkiness of Apelia's character. Also, it was way too easy to steal the Enterprise. Otherwise, I like the episode. The idea of another encounter with the Gorn is exciting, to say the least. Top fan Rhiannon McKenzie said a 10. Great job, writers, director, and cast. Not sure what some people were expecting. I absolutely loved it. Love that we're getting to see Spock on a journey toward the Spock we became familiar with over the years. All the callbacks, call forwards, to small things like Spock's harp origins. I think the writers are doing an awesome job, and I love Carol. She's going to add some levity as engineer, but I do miss Hammer. Top fan Sandra Marie Cortez said a four. Felt like an alternative universe episode. A lot of it was sloppy, and it didn't make sense for a first episode. I hope it gets better. Top fan David Lamoureux said a nine. It's interesting to see Spock in his early Starfleet career. And for those who are upset he showed emotion, I would suggest that they screen the TOS pilot, The Menagerie. He showed emotion in that one, too. It wasn't until Where No One Has Gone Before that he started becoming the Spock everyone knows. Top fan to Jay Huntington gave it a 6.8. The story was kind of weak, but I'm happy we got to finally see some Klingons. I look forward to the Gorn threat. They are an underutilized nemesis. Timothy Martin Dar said a 4 because it was a sellout. Writers are trying to emulate the original series action, and it appeared gratuitous. The nurse and doctor don't need to beat up Klingons, especially for 10 minutes. It was a production-slash-writing mistake, not an acting problem. Nurse Chapel is a fine babe. Create a real love interest or several love interests around her. Empower her sensuality. You'll keep people's attention longer. Francis Roy said 10. I know the Lanthanite are a new species in Star Trek, but can someone tell me if the Lanthanite are a similar species to the Elarians? Hmm. And top fan William Stafford gave it a solid 10 
with a comment, Ethan Peck. That is all. That gives us, guys, a fan score this week for episode one of 7.5, which is actually surprisingly low for uh, Strange New Worlds. The absolute lowest score that we've ever seen before on an episode from the fans was an 8.3 for the Serene Squall last season. So what do you say we chat about it? Absolutely. But first, we have to do some cadet training. And there's your cue, Carl. Okay, thank you, Jim. I need to throw one more cadet review in there. Okay, let's start off with definitely the big story in this episode, the Klingon War. And go all the way back to Discovery Season 1 with what happened during the war. As one of our fans mentioned, well, Spock would not steal a ship. Yeah, let's go check the Menagerie, Season 1, Episode 11 and 12. Yes, uh, Spock did steal a ship there. And almost could have gotten court-martialed on that one. A little combination here where we lost Hammer. We we re-met Lorian, and we find out where Leon has shown up as she left the Enterprise. All these tie in to Strange New World, all those who wonder. Last season, we saw the doctor. And nurse pick up some a vial of something. They say we're going to get more details on it this season. But reminds me of adrenaline, specifically Klingon adrenaline. And this one's going to be unique reference. I'm going to go to Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Defiant issue number four, where we get to see War picking a. Violent cling on adrenaline. Spock plays a Vulcan lute. And the main one I knew of was The Way to Eden, TOS's Season 3, Episode 20. So I hear it may have shown up also in Charlie X, which was a Season 1 episode. Selena <clears throat> mentioned she's friends and was first met by Amanda Grayson. Amanda's got a pretty good history in Star Trek. <clears throat> Let's try TOS, Journey Babel, Season 2, Episode 10. Animated series, Yesteryear, Season 1, Episode 2. Star Trek 4, Star Trek 5. Discovery, Season 1 and Season 2 in 11 different episodes. And as one of our... Raiders mentioned. Helena, I looked her up. It's like, okay, I got to find the spelling. I got to look that species up. And my main source of information for Star Trek gave me one entry. 
And that one entry was based on the episode. So, nope, this is a brand new species on Star Trek lore. And it's going to be interesting to see how far back she's been around. I wonder if she has a new Guinan on the planet. Or who else she may have run into. So, I think with that, we can move on to the episode itself. Yeah. What do you say we talk about this episode and give our scores and see what we can come up with with what the fans said? So, uh, let's see. I'll start off and say that uh, in the episode, we get to see the USS Archer uh, docked at Starbase One, which, if you remember, was the same ship that Una was on in Episode One, which was really cool. Um, I also like the fact that you see this really cool flyby over Starbase One, which uh, had been destroyed by the Klingons, if you recall, in Season 1 of Discovery. So that that was a cool little to see. Um, I also thought that um, the fact that Ethan Peck was able to carry the episode without Captain Pike. Captain Pike's only in the episode for like the first, I don't know, two minutes, maybe three. And then he turns the Enterprise over to Spock for his first command. And I think that Ethan Peck really, with his acting chops, carries this entire episode brilliantly uh, without Anson Mount around. So I thought that was that was really, really, really awesome. Uh, and what does Spock do with his first command? He steals the Enterprise. Um, so we've seen this a lot. We've seen the Enterprise being stolen. They made a really, really big deal about it in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. And we've seen it several times throughout Star Trek history, the stealing of the Enterprise. Um, but I'm the stealing yeah. of the of the uh, okay, Loritas, the uh, lower decks ship, also the Protostar. Yeah, Cerritos. when the Cerritos <laughs> the got taken, ship. also first oh, episode. And basically yeah, the same thing as the most recent season of Picard. I mean, the whole, you know, it was basically co-opting yeah. slash stealing the starship there. I mean, so it's really kind of becoming a, a pretty frequent trope uh, that, interestingly enough, apparently has absolutely no consequences whatsoever. So Academy cadets, if you're feeling impetuous, steal a starship, nothing will happen to you. <laughs> that's right. You can You can get off scot-free, but that's only if you have, uh, the help of Commander Pelia, who's a Lanthanite. Um, as Charles said, we know nothing about Lanthanites. Um, I did find it interesting, though, that she used the particular phrase that she came out to Spock's mother, Amanda Grayson. Um, coming out, especially during Pride Month, I think is very relevant um, wording. And uh, the fact that she says that it's been a, over a hundred years since she went out on a starship. And I'm trying to figure where that puts her. Does that put her like around Captain, Captain Archer-ish um, time? Um, so she's been around for quite a while. You know? So we have to wait and see what happens with Commander Pelia, our new chief engineer of the Enterprise. But she shows up in this episode, actually. Uh, several hundred years old. She, 
her and Spock have this conversation, and she tells Spock that, or Spock tells her that that her race lived amongst human humans, uh, see, for several hundred years undetected. So I think there's a backstory there that we're going to find out about. And uh, I also Jim, think... I'm not sure if it's hundred or thousand. Hmm. It may be a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 just, we don't know enough. Of, she's a brand new character, so we'll have to find out um, what, what the deal is with her. But I'm fascinated exactly. to see what, what they do with her. Um, you know, also, uh, Spock. So I'm thinking that, you know, Ethan Peck, I just said, I think he stole the episode with his acting chops. One of our fans didn't like the fact that Spock was so emotional. But in this particular episode, it's obviously that Spock has feelings for Nurse Chapel. And he just doesn't know, as a Vulcan, he doesn't know how to express them. So he goes down to sick bay to see him bingo. And as soon as Chapel walks in, his heartbeat starts to, to race. And, and Benga gives him the Vulcan leer. And so he plays it for the first time. Charles already told you that we see it several times on TOS. But it's nice to know where it came from. Well, about that, Leo, apparently it also was shown in the first season of Strange New World on episode seven. It was in his uh, cabin when uh, Captain Angel came to visit him. You could see it on the wall. And I'm like, wait a minute. How did you have it when Abenga first gives it to him? I thought that was a little strange. Yeah, that that is strange. That is strange. It's, but it is strange new world, so it's very fitting. Right? <laughs> Maybe it right? was just something he displayed in his room. Vega is the one that convinced him to actually sit down and actually play it. Maybe that could be. That could be. Um, but I'll tell you what. I've heard. I am. Go ahead. I've heard a lot of. I've heard a lot of chatter about the Spock issue. And one of the comments I've heard is we have a unique Spock that came from the cage who smiles, shows emotion. And the beginning of the series, they were still trying to flush out his I think now, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get that dealing of showing that Spock's got his human side and that truly it won't be until the motion picture that he he tries to actually suppress those completely. Yeah. People can play with Spock's showing emotion. Spock's Spock is not pure Vulcan, remember, folks. He is half Vulcan. And, you know, Go just ahead. like Michael Burnham, where we we as, as viewers and fans got to go on the journey with her through the captain's chair, I'm really excited to go on this emotional roller coaster ride with Spock and see yeah. how he ends up from where he is to, you know, where – 
you know, he ends up later on on Star Trek where we know that he goes through the Culinar and all that stuff. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to go on that journey with Mr. Ethan Peck is perfect for taking us on that journey. Yes. You know, I'll say this about Ethan Peck. It's just, uh, you know, as, as, you know, I think unrealistic and, you know, goofy as it is to have him impulsively uh, steal a starship when ostensibly the first time he's ever left with the keys to dad's car. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of goofy and especially, you know, you can, you know, a lot of things you can find fault with as far as the, the interactivity, but, uh, but Pac sells it. Right. Uh, The thing is, he is a really good actor and he's very compelling. He's very likable and he's really good at showing those uh, twists of being sort of being pulled in two different ways uh, by both halves of his personality. Right. All that uh, ambiguousness that he's that he's feeling, you know, he's really good at that. Uh, I think he's really finding the character. I think he's a fascinating actor to watch. So even when things may sort of risk, you know, running off the rails a bit narratively. I think he writes the ship by being, you know, such a compelling presence. So I'm enjoying seeing his interpretation of the character. Well, the interaction that he has with Pelia on the bridge, when she says, ask him, are you stealing the ship? And he, he, he can't lie, but he doesn't uh-huh. answer her, you know, and that's the answer. And she's confronting him and getting the answers out of him without him saying a word, just from his acting chops. I, I love that scene. Well, my guess is she's dealt with Amanda. I think she's got some good knowledge of the Vulcan culture. And Spock wisely I, uses that, I'm not, I can't lie, line, act with the Klingons. And I think it's a good line to put out, the fact that Vulcans don't lie. They can twist and, their words a bit, but they're not going to lie. Well, since she's half Vulcan, does she half lie? That's true. He could stretch the truth and tell, you know, a white lie, like he did in Star Trek VI, right. an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of Klingons, I have to mention this. I love, love the Klingons that we get to see in this episode. Mm-hmm. We got to see a vast variety of Klingons. We didn't see every Klingon with the same Klingon ridge that Worf wears. We saw every Klingon was different than every other Klingon. And, and I love seeing that myself, especially the Klingon that La'an was in the drinking match with. He had kind of braided hair running up between his ridges, which I thought was a really cool thing to do. And even in the in the background, I actually saw a Discovery Klingon. Um, the only Klingon I didn't really see was a TOS version of the Klingon, um, but that was a genetic thing. So, you know, I got to applaud them for showing that the Klingons, just like humans, have many different appearances. So, you know, kudos to to do, to designing all those different Klingons. That that impressed me. And also, the new Klingon D seven battle cruiser looks absolutely amazing. When it drops out of warp, it's hanging there, and they 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 found the other starship, and they armed their disruptor cannons, 
And what happens? These giant cannons pop out from underneath the warp engine. I thought that was so cool. Because if you guys remember in TOS, when the Klingons fired their disruptors at the Enterprise, the green bolt came out of the warp engine. Never really made sense to me, but it looked cool. Well, on Strange New Worlds, the reason why they do that is a big disruptor cannon that pops out underneath the warp engine. So that was really, really cool. I thought that was awesome. I was just blown away by that. And also, did you guys catch the name, the, the class of the starship that that the Klingons built? Yeah, sure. It was Crossfield. Yes. It was Crossfield. And what starship? What what starship is a Crossfield? Uh, the Starship Discovery. Discovery. That's right. And there was only <laughs> two of them built. Two to two Crossfield ships built. And I thought it was neat because I paused it and watched it in slow motion a couple of times. But the, the, the ship does have that split, that split rotating hull design of the Discovery, but it has a different drive section. than the, Instead of the pizza cutter type drive of the Discovery, it has a different uh, drive system than the Discovery. And I'm thinking that the reason why they would have misidentified it is because no one's really ever seen a crossfield ship, and the the, the split hull, you know, could have thrown you off. But my well, discovery question, was discovery was a discovery was a prototype ship for use with the four drive. Maybe right. they've done other ships in that series without the four drive, so therefore did not need the center, the that specific drive on their ship. So, you know, my biggest question is, you know, how could, how could they, how could the Klingons share the planet with the Federation and build a Federation starship without anybody knowing? Uh, Jim, that's not a Federation planet. The Federation is getting mining from that ship. I think it's under it's under Klingon control. Well, it's under and that ship control. was being built probably from that ship was probably built from a stolen starship, probably stolen well, during the war. April says that for thirty days the Klingons get it, and for thirty days the the, the Federation gets it. The planet. So, and, and yeah, so that was, I thought was a bit, you know, how could they build a starship and no one knows it, you know. Oh, it would be easy to build a starship if you're buried on the ground because it doesn't take the surface. I think so the, my guess I think, is it was... In, yeah, I mean, I think the idea there was that they are supposed to be giant dilithium caverns left behind after the mining has happened. So there's probably huge sections of, you know, hollow earth, and they definitely <laughs> built that thing inside a, a cavern there. Uh, and so I can imagine that there's probably dozens of these caverns abandoned all over the place as they continue to mine the planet. That was my take on it. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's possible. So I also... Charles mentioned it, the fact that Mbenga and Chapel served in the Klingon War, so they have, a, they have a background 
uh, fighting, uh, I forgot the name of the planet, but there's a planet that they served on. So that, you know, that was an interesting backstory, but, you know, they shot themselves up with some type of DNA boosting drug. And, you know, then, then they go on this fighting spree with a bunch of Klingons. And I got to agree with, with one of our uh, listeners that I felt that that wasn't necessary. First of all, I thought that it went on too long. And my biggest problem with that scene was the music. The music sucked. Uh, it just, it was not, it, it, it was terrible. The music they used in that, in those fight scenes was just awful, in my opinion. I just didn't like it at all. It didn't say Klingon to me. It, it, it just didn't feel like a song that would be being played during combat. I didn't like it. Did anybody else? Well, I know, uh, I know, okay, Eric, you've read Defiant number four, haven't you? Yeah. Remember when they shot Riff up with that adrenaline? Yes, I do remember that. And he, yeah. he was lit- he was literally just about near death, and he got up and went several more rounds of fighting. Yeah. After being dosed with this stuff, and that's exactly what this stuff reminded me of. So I think, and I think we've had discussion about adrenaline in Star Trek. So, it's similar to a drug. I'm going to say it's probably very similar to a drug. And it puts a high amount of adrenaline in somebody's system so they can be competitive. And my guess is competitive. And my guess is that Bengas used it before in a major Klingon battle. Well, they, he talks about, at the beginning, I mean, when, she, when he pulls it out and Chapel looks at it and says, you never go anywhere without that or something like that, I think the implication yeah. was that earlier in the Klingon War, Mbenga was involved in some kind of situation where this stuff probably saved his life or was used in some way, and so he's got almost like a security blanket attachment to it. Yeah. But, but I will not... I will not disagree with Jim, and I think that a lot of people would agree with me that this scene was like – it was the, absolutely the weakest part of the episode. It was so long. It had strobe lights like crazy, which for somebody who's mildly sensitive to that kind of stuff made it so that I could hardly even watch it. Some of the stupid yeah. camera tricks they played, like when they turn upside down, when they go through the hatch, and then they turn it right side up again, it, there was absolutely no reason to do that. There was no, like, gravity <laughs> thing happening or, you know, cool reason that the camera tricks should be played. So I, uh, I, I thought the whole couldn't scene agree was more. Trash, to tell you the truth. Yeah, that whole fight scene was, was just preposterous. And uh, it just – I mean, obviously, it's going to – we're going to learn more about this previous Klingon war thing and we know that the the two of them were you know stationed in the war and saw active duty and presumably this is some kind of like super adrenaline serum that they use in combat situations and I bet green money it's going to show up again to enable somebody to have the amazing strength at the 11th hour to fight off a Gorn later in in the series I'm sure because otherwise why are they showing it to us now but it's just the fight scene went on so long, man. It was just so ridiculously edited. It's just like, okay, like 20 seconds, got it. But it just was like, you know, the calendar page is dissolving off the wall. I mean, really not a great scene. 
Mm-mm. No, it, it was not. It was way too long. And I also wanted to point out something that these Klingons uh, were not members of the Klingon military. These were obviously civilian Klingons because I didn't see a single military weapon. I didn't see a single batlith, a curlith, a mechlith, a sekta. Um, there was none of that there, and they weren't wearing traditional Klingon battle armor either. And these Klingons were working with humans for a profit to start a war, which is completely not honorable for a Klingon at all. Yeah. So these Klingons were not acting very klingon in my opinion, anyways. Um, so this there was, was probably that. a rogue. This probably was a rogue house or a rogue group that was trying to trying to restart the Klingon war. Influenced by Ferengi, probably. I did want to mention that when the Klingon, when when Spock uh, has blood wine with the Klingons later on, the Klingons that show up from the D7 battlecruiser are wearing Klingon battle armor. But if you notice, it was kind of like a a pseudo-discovery motion picture combination of battle armor. It wasn't the, the battle armor we see in Star Trek Three. It wasn't the battle armor that we saw in Discovery. It was kind of somewhere in between, which I thought was great. And uh, the Klingon captain drinking blood wine with Spock. I, I love that scene. I could just see Spock standing around chugging down the blood wine. Yeah. I thought that was great. Um, what did you guys think about, what? I want the ship to go now? Um I think that 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 to me is so very Spock. He doesn't realize that the taglines are important, and the thing he just wants the ship to go. And I think that would be a very Vulcan way of getting a ship to go. It, it was very he doesn't want a, Absolutely. He doesn't want a little phrase. He just wants, I want the ship to go now. Okay, well, you hit now, it's time to go. But that's a very you know, Vulcan way. I have heard a lot of people complain about that scene and that they just want it to stop and go away. And uh, But I, I found, I thought it was humorous. I thought it was funny because I remember... I remember Tilly talking with Saru about his his catchphrase on Discovery. Mm-hmm. And we know that Michael Burnham uses Let's Fly and Pike uses Hit It and Picard says Engage. So they all have their thing. So I, you know, and of course, does anybody remember a, what Ortegas, what his Ortegas was going to be? Vamoose. He goes, Vamoose. Vamoose. I didn't mind and, that. Well, and the thing that. is, You'll notice when they had seven of nine, and they cut the scene just before she said it, so that we don't know what yeah. her key phrase is. It's been since more of discovery that we've gotten a lot more focus on the captain wanting to use their key phrase. Well, yeah, because there there wasn't a, a catchphrase really on Deep Space Nine. Uh, it was on a space station, and they weren't on the ship until the war, and they didn't have catchphrases on Enterprise. Uh, so, I mean, th- that's a relatively new addition to the Star Trek mythos. 
Well, um, they did kind of have a tech for uh, uh, a catchphrase in Enterprise because I mean Archer, he had his own like let's see what's out there or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it said, but I mean he did mention something. They just didn't. Uh, they just uh, make it a, a thing, I guess, like they're doing now. A big emphasis. Yeah. As but we the, are thing that, right. the, the, the thing that bugged me about Spock's uh, catchphrase was not what he said, but what the timing was. They just stole the Enterprise. They're outside the space dock, and they're waiting for him to say it. It was like, what? They could have tracked to bring them in by then. <laughs> it's like, okay. It just took a little longer than it should have to me. That, that's the only thing that bothered me about it. So, yeah. but, but don't you, guys, don't you feel that the whole concept of, of even acknowledging that the captains suddenly have a catchphrase is just, it's almost too meta. It's like they're self-aware of the fact that like they're on a TV show, practically. I mean, it's just, it's calling comment to something that we would notice as an audience, but all of a sudden now, here are the other members of the cast of characters acting like an audience. It's it seems too self aware to me. Uh, I, I don't like it. Not, uh, to me, it's I, way too. Uh, it's it's not part of. Uh, it's it's removing the, uh, the artifice of having there be a barrier between the audience and the characters. You know, where we're watching something that's happening by characters. It's, they're doing all this goofy fan servicey stuff like you know ha- having her and what what does ortega say she goes i've been workshopping uh Vominos. workshopping i mean it's just it's such a contemporary thing to have her say right a lot of the you know and saying okay uh no press spock i mean it's like is it you know the 23rd century or the 21st century here right <laughs> so i found all these yeah. these focuses on this really super distracting but i'd rather see storytelling go on yeah. Go ahead. I just think it gives. Uh, to me, it gives a it. It's a way of giving each captain their own personality. And I think it's a way that the captains kind of designate an offshoot of Picard's engage. I agree, but it's better to have the the personality be exhibited by their actions, not by you know, self aware yeah. acknowledgement that that this is a thing that's expected everyone to have. I mean, that, because that now may it's be become great a in the thing, writer's room. Now it's become a thing that can't be ignored, which is a bummer because it probably doesn't yeah. deserve that much attention. Yeah, it's become this weird trope thing now, and I, I just, it's, it's a distraction. It doesn't it's like, personally doesn't bother me. I actually enjoy seeing it was because Pike trying to come up what his phrase was and what Burnham was coming up with. I kind of like to see how each each captain's got their own thing. No, that's, that's not wrong got, with that, but it's just I don't know. But we've got well, we also know the fact because Spock is a Vulcan, he's not thinking about these kind of these things, and I think he's kind of realizing okay, there is these kind of issues going on. Huh. Well. I, I'm I just, just got a little more. more just... Go ahead, Jim. I had two more points that I wanted to make. Uh, I thought, you know, getting seeing Ahura promoted from an ensign was was pretty cool. Well, we didn't actually see it, but she tells us, and then La'an's like, "Oh, you got promoted." So I thought that was that was cool because we're seeing movement in the ranks, um, which is really neat. And speaking of Ahura, the the best part, the the part of the episode that I thought was really awesome 
was the touching tribute for Nichelle at the end when it said, for Nichelle who was first through the door and showed us the stars, hailing frequencies are forever open. That was the classiest thing they could have done. And I thoroughly, thoroughly, I mean, I was, I was like bawling when I read that. It was awesome. So, you know, my overall score for this episode is, is almost in line with the fans. I gave this episode an eight, and I only gave it an eight really because the Klingons, they, they, had, they showed us a, a, a cultural divergence of Klingons. And I think people needed that because this whole Klingon debate is driving me crazy. Every Klingon doesn't look like Warp. Get that out of your head. Klingons look different. And in this episode, they look different. And so for that, I, I bumped my score up a little bit more to an eight. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts. That's my score. How about you, Eric? You know, what do you think? Uh, well, Jim, I think you pretty much covered everything in the episode, so I don't know that I have too much more, uh, honestly, to add. Uh, you know, I think I'm interested to see what Mbenga uh, history is revealed over time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I thought the scene at the end with uh, with Spock and the Klingons was pretty cool. I liked that. I liked that idea of him kind of getting drunk with the Klingons to smooth things over as a concept. Uh, I thought that was that was clever. Um, you know, technically speaking, the there were a lot of little inconsistencies here and there, and then there were the big issues that we were just talking about that I think pulled down the score a little bit for me. So, uh, but I will say that I loved Carol Kane. I mean, she was amazing. I didn't. I, I like her character. I like how um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> how quirky she is because it just fits her perfectly. I kept thinking she was going to wave to Spock and say, have fun storming the castle. But, uh, <laughs> you know, she's going to be an awesome engineer along the way here. So I was pretty much in the same zone where uh, I'm going to give this one about a 7.5 or so. All right. We have an 8. We have a 7.5. How about you, Paul? Well, you know, the one thing we didn't talk about that I'm intrigued by, and i got a uh, – you know, uh, start by saying I have not watched the new episode two yet this week, so I don't know if I'm going to have an answer to this question or not. So I'm, I'm doing this without benefit of any hindsight. But I thought it was really interesting the whole setup um, of why we didn't have uh, Pike in this episode because he's making a journey someplace to go find somebody who is uh, going to be the defense for Una. Right. That's the impression I got. He's trying to convince somebody to who's a tough sell to come and be uh, defense. Right. And I'm wondering if that's somebody from court martial from the original series. Like they identified it as female, though. So that kind of uh, obviates the you know Samuel T. Cogsley attorney at law idea. But maybe it's Ariel Shaw. So I don't know. But I was really intrigued by that. I thought that was a real interesting note to uh to lead off with and sort of get you wondering right because i think we're going to see some good old school courtroom action this week um yeah jim you really did sort of exhaustively cover everything in your uh the summary there so i think all we can really do is kind of paraphrase a bit um i do miss uh the professionalism of a regular starfleet crew um 
it doesn't in any way seem like a like a military group. Um, they seem like they're you know, I think they're really trying to appeal to a younger audience that hangs out a lot because <laughs> that's what this crew seems like, right? They don't seem as as uh, united or professional as we like to see, and, and there's no sense of consequences or repercussions for anyone's actions. You know, it's crazy to me that Una is being court-martialed and drummed out of the service for filling out her application with deception, whereas Spock steals an entire starship, and it's like, your hangover is your punishment. That is crazy to me. How And really lopsided makes absolutely zero sense. So I, I would like to see Star, Starfleet depicted more like Starfleet was depicted in Next Gen, you know, like actual adults doing things. But that's just me. Um, and uh, if I could just move away from some of the contemporary dialogue and unnecessary uh, fight scenes, I'd be happier too. I, I definitely enjoyed seeing the Klingon, Jim, like you. I thought it was a great touch to uh, uh, be able to uh, see all the different types uh, of folks that were there. Like you said, represented different varieties of uh, of Klingons, and I thought that was really nice. I thought it echoes the whole concept of diversity and whatnot. Um, I want to give it a six. <laughs> the Klingons and some of the other more charming aspects are bumping it up to me to a seven, but it was an inauspicious debut for sure. I was hoping for better. Hopefully we'll get better tonight, but uh, some definitely rough patches for sure. So I'll, I'll go to a seven because you don't want to be that guy, but uh, we, they have it. <laughs> We got a seven from Paul. How about you, Charles? What do you think? Well, one of the things that I looked at and I was confused by it, and then I just saw a explanation which then made sense. That one spot where Vega and Chapel are being the board, and you get that glow, that gold look to it. And I was kind of confused. What's going on there? And then that seems explained to me. It's like, oh, that was the view of Mbega and Chapel from their point of view being transported onto the ship. So you get that real flashy look to it. That was what it felt like while they were being transported aboard. And I thought that was an interesting effect we normally don't see is somebody's perspective have of them being put on the ship going through the transporter especially trying to deal with them showing up the way they did so I thought that was interesting also I heard they were showing some samples of Carol King and the character that they kind of figured out that she was kind of doing was she was doing the same character from Taxi Driver. That was the character she was from Taxi, and that was the character she was into Strange New World. I thought that's an interesting character, interesting personality to bring in to the series. But I look forward to it. The fight scene didn't bother me that much. I rather enjoy the view of what was going on. I'm going to give this episode a nine. All right. So 
So Charles is way above our fan scores. And, David, that means you get to bring up the kaboot and give us your score. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I was actually kind of disappointed with this episode, um, mainly because, like you guys were all saying, it's a trope of stealing the Enterprise. I honestly didn't think they needed to do that. I mean, it could just been a command from April saying, okay, go ahead, go do that. But to me, I don't know, this whole situation where the, the fight scene, I, I do agree with a lot of what you guys said with everything as far as, like, what we talked about. Uh, the fight scene was okay in my opinion, but it was it did last too long. And it was just so much, like, what Eric was saying, you know, the unnecessary camera flips of the shots, which is like, wait. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I had this whole thing talked, planned in my head, but now it's just like, I don't think you guys want to hear me rant about how the clean-ons look, but <laughs> I just want to say this one thing for the fans that are listening out there is that, I mean, we have plastic surgery today. And remember what the Klingon mentioned in the Enterprise, that they said that they're going to feel dishonored not looking the way they look. So why not just have plastic surgery to make them look the way they used to look? So maybe that's an explanation, maybe? I don't know, but that's all I'm going to say about it. Anywho, um, as far as this episode goes, um, I really did not like it as much as I thought I was going to like it. So I'm actually going to disappoint you guys with a very low score. Um, so I think I'm only going to give it a six. Yeah, that's about it. That's all I can really say. <laughs> well, a six is a six. So uh, we have our scores in, Charles. So our fans gave this a 7.5. And what did the Trexpert give it? Well, it's interesting with a wide range of scores the fans gave us when we got the truck spurts going, we rounded out and tied the fans. Wow. Tied we have a seven point five. Hmm. That's impressive. Very impressive, I might mm-hmm. say. But um So that figures it out, guys. We're tied with the fans on the broken circle at a 7.5. So we're right there, sitting there right there with you guys. And uh, this is the part of the show coming up now where we do our Star Trek birthdays, which means we have to hear from Worf. was not a song. All right, guys, every week we do our Star Trek birthday so you guys can find out who you share a birthday with. Uh, we always start out our Star Trek birthdays by paying remembrances to those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, this week we're going to be remembering five members of our Star Trek community who have gone before us. The first is William Lucking, 
William Lucking was the actor who played the Bajoran Pharrell in Deep Space Nine's episodes The Darkness and the Light and Ties of Blood and Water. And he also played the Orion privateer Harad Sar in Enterprise's fourth season episode Bound. Um, now, William was a very seasoned uh, veteran actor of both film, television, and also stage. Um, he's probably best known for his role as Piney Winston in the FX cable network drama series Sons of Anarchy, which I, I believe is a show that Paul uh, frequently watched, if I remember correctly. Um, William also graduated from UCLA and the Pasadena Playhouse with degrees in literature and theater and eventually went on to co-found the Santa Paul Theater Center with fellow actor Dana Elkar in 1986. Uh, Lucking has a ton of credits, uh, TV credits in particular to his name. You can surf his IMDb page to see what those are all about. He was uh, on television for about three decades, and at least in the era that I was watching TV, uh, I definitely saw him on shows like uh, The Incredible Hulk and MASH and Knight Rider and Magnum P.I. and all that stuff from the 80s. Uh, he was also in the movie Stripes and uh, did his one of his last things he did was uh, a movie with Dwayne Johnson called The Rundown in 2003. So William Lucking uh, would have had a birthday this week, June 17th. Happy birthday, William, and uh, we do miss you. We're also saying happy birthday and sending out love and remembrances to John Warburton this week. John Warburton was the British-born actor who played the Romulan Centurion in the TOS first season episode, Balance of Care. He's the guy with the blonde hair, the, the blonde centurion there. Uh, and John was originally from Liverpool, England. Uh, he was an actor known for Cavalcade, Saratoga Trunk, and the movie Secret File Hollywood. Made numerous appearances in the 1956 Western series Judge Roy Bean as well, playing a different character every single time he appeared, which is kind of cool. And he has some motion picture credits to his name, here and there as well. You can go check that out. John Warburton would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, John Warburton. Happy birthday as well to Robert Ellenstein. Robert Ellenstein was an actor, theater director, and acting teacher who portrayed the Federation president in Star Trek IV, the one with the whales. He later appeared without that fancy beard as Stephen Miller in the Next Generation first season episode, Haven. Uh, Ellen Stein was a longtime friend of uh, Leonard Nimoy, who of course directed Star Trek IV, uh, and they were both uh, early members of the Company of Angels, which was the oldest non-profit repertory theater in Los Angeles. Uh, Robert had a career spanning well over four decades. He was featured in 14 feature films, five made-for-TV movies and specials, and nearly 100 different television programs. He also was noted for his extensive stage work uh, throughout the years. And uh, one of his most memorable television roles was perhaps as the villain in the pilot episode of Moonlighting, if you remember that show. Uh, so Robert Ellenstein would have had a birthday June 18th this week. Happy birthday and love and remembrances going out to Robert. We're also remembering this week actor Jake Dengel. Jake Dengel was the actor who portrayed Mordock in the uh, next 
uh, Generation first season episode, The Last Outpost. He's one of those early Ferengi, uh, the ones who are kind of crouching and have the whips and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Pre-Quark Ferengi. <laughs> uh, Dingle made his film debut in 1964's Twelfth Night, which of course was based on the William Shakespeare play. And in the 80s, he had a lot of uh, more significant movie roles. He was in Ragtime, Something Wicked This Way Comes, Best Defense. In fact, he got his comedy chops kind of uh, worked out on a lot of those films and and later became known as a comedic actor. In television, uh, he was on T.J. Hooker with, guess who, William Shatner himself in the episode Sleigh Ride. And then he did a couple other things here and there. He was on Hardcastle McCormick, Hill Street Blues. Uh, and then uh, he next appeared later on in his career on Night Court, uh, which of course starred John Larroquette in the episode Her Honor. Uh, and so Jake Dengel, just a few television uh, credits to his name. Uh, but man, what a fun way to kind of start out your Star Trek career playing a weirdo Ferengi who would later then be replaced with the Ferengi that we all know and love. <laughs> so <laughs> happy birthday, Jake, and uh, thank you for your Star Trek contributions. And our last remembrance this week uh, goes out to a titan of acting as far as I'm concerned. Kie Luke uh, was a Chinese-born American actor who played Governor Donald Corey as well as Fleet Captain Garth in the TOS third season episode, Whom Gods Destroy. Now, Kie uh, has a lot of acting credits to his name, and in fact, at one point, he was actually considered for the role of Dr. Noonien Singh, uh, Sung, excuse me, in the, uh, in the Next Generation fourth season episode, Brothers. Um, first, Brent Spiner wasn't sure that he'd be able to play all the roles, the lore, the data, and the Noonien Sung, uh, uh, the, uh, not Noonien, excuse me, Sung, Dr. Sung. <laughs> um, but uh, eventually he was able to play those roles, and so uh, Kie did not get that job. But what I didn't know kind of before today was that Kie was also a celebrated artist in his own right uh, prior to his acting career. He was uh, a visual artist who worked actually on some of the murals that still exist or existed at one point inside Grumman's Chinese Theater, uh, including he did the original artwork for the 1933 King Kong press book, which I think is really cool. He then made his acting debut in 1934, and in 1935, he got his first notable role as Lee Chan, the main character's number one son in the Charlie Chan series of movies. And he would portray that role uh, several more times up until 1938, reprising it in later editions and later movies in 1948 and then uh, on into the 70s. Luke was also known for portraying Kato in the original Green Hornet film shorts of the 1940s and for his role as Master Poe in the 1970s television series Kung Fu. Now, did you know that Luke was also considered for the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars Episode Four? We could have had him instead of Sir Alec Guinness. Interesting how that might have changed the role. He played the role of Mr. Wing in 1984's Gremlins and in the sequel, 1990's Gremlins 2. And uh, he did some voiceover work to kind of round out his career, portraying uh, several characters on Johnny Quest, 
several other television and cartoon shows, but perhaps his most recognized voice role was that of Zoltar in the hit Japanese animation series Battle of the Planets. So T.A. Luke, uh, he was all over the place, very talented actor. Uh, almost saw him in a couple of other big roles there. That was fun to learn about. So happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to T.A. Luke. And that, guys, wraps up our remembrances for this week. So I'm going to pass that gleaming birthday candle right over to Charles. Take it away, Charles. Oh, thank you, Eric. Okay, let's start off with a happy birthday to John Cho, who played Hikara Sulu in Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness and Beyond, the three Kelvin movies. <clears throat> Interesting that we've seen John in one of our one of our reviews a while ago, a few years ago. I don't think we realized we'd done it. Because John also had a role in the 2019 remake of Twilight Zone. He played Raph Hank in The Wonderkind. Remember when we reviewed, reviewed that one, Eric? I absolutely do remember that. Yep. We were reviewing it. He was in it. Yep. Uh, happy birthday to Robin Christopher who played Neela in Star Trek Deep Space Nine's first season episode duet in the hands of the prophets. Didn't have a lot of stuff Robin did, but she did spend a lot of time in soap operas, including stints in All My Children, Another World, and General Hospital. Chris River, child actor who played... Mata Alfala and Star Trek Strange New World's first season episode, A Quantity of Mercy. And that was the uh, intelligent child that was supposed to take to help the planet. And interesting, I think, for a couple of people, he did voice work for the fourth season, a fourth season episode of Expanse. Marianne Hartley, Emmy Award-winning actress who played Zara Beth in Star Trek's original series, All Our Yesteryear. She was not allowed to show her belly button in the episode due to censors. But Jean Roddenberry got even. She had her show two belly buttons in the TV movie series Genesis 2 and 73. <laughs> Two belly buttons. <laughs> Two belly buttons. Uh, she's got quite a few, a lot of different acting roles. Some highlights were Bonanza, Gunsmoke, TV series Logan's Run, Incredible Hulk, and an episode of MASH. And the last one I've got on my list is Happy Birthday to Josh... Palace, who played Quark's cousin Gala in Star Trek Deep Space Nine's fifth and sixth season episodes, Business as Usual, and The Magnificent Ferengi. Well, one of his interesting roles was he was the he was the only actor in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie in uh, 1990 
to go with wear a turtle costume and provide the voice for his character, Raphael. In his Raphael costume, he was chasing Casey Jones from the park, and he tumbled over the hood of a taxi. And the scene cut to the passenger of the taxi asking what was that. And guess who was the taxi? Josh Paris, out of costume. So not only was he a turtle, but he also played one of the played a passenger in the in the taxi. So I thought it interesting that he was the only actor in that series to actually wear the costume and do the voice. So now I'm going to take this flaming cast ca- candle to about halfway down and toss over to Paul. Thanks, Charles. Just want to make sure my audio is working. Can you hear me okay? Sound good. Great. Sorry to have to ask. Okay. First of all, happy birthday goes out to the legendary Joe Piscopo, stand-up comic and fitness enthusiast and actor who appeared as the comic in the Star Trek The Next Generation second season episode, The Outrageous Okona. Happy birthday, Joe. Really happy about this one. Uh, Happy birthday goes out to actor Nick Tate, who played... uh, couple of different roles in Star Trek, uh, Deergo in the fourth season next-gen episode, Final Mission, and later on he appeared in the Deep Space Nine sixth-season episode, Honor Among Thieves, as Liam Bilby. But old-school science fiction fans probably know Nick Tate uh, from the crazy British show Space 1999 where he played uh, one of the primary Eagle pilots. Uh, And uh, a drinking game on that show is every time that uh, Alan Carter crashes an Eagle, you'd better take a drink. So Nick Tate's a hell of a guy. He uh, still uh, engages with fans at conventions and uh, excellent uh, individual. So happy birthday, Nick Tate. Next up, somebody that we're now welcoming into the Star Trek family, a Comedian, uh, par excellence, uh, Ms. Carol Kane. She's the Emmy Award-winning actress uh, from Taxi and uh, other shows, and of course, The Princess Bride motion picture. But she's recently now appearing uh, uh, as a new recurring character on Stranger Worlds as Pelia, the chief engineer who's some kind of long-living immortal being. Uh, we don't know much about her yet, but folks are certainly intrigued. Uh, uh, seems like folks are getting used to that accent, wondering where it's all going. So it's always fun to have a new character that we begin to explore and come to terms with. So happy birthday, Miss Kane. Welcome to Star Trek. Happy birthday also goes out to Alan Van Sprague, a Canadian actor who portrayed Leland in the second season of Star Trek Discovery. Oh, not a character everyone's super fond of, as I recall. (laughs) Living in infamy, Alan Vansprang. Happy birthday, sir. And wonderfully delightful birthday greetings go to the great Tim Russ, who we all know who portrayed a lot of different characters throughout Star Trek uh, TV and movies, uh, little cameos here and there. But we're really focusing on his uh, portrayal of Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager. And I've been uh, enjoying revisiting uh, the Voyager franchise recently, and he does a hell of a job. Really good actor, um, really makes a character his own, and a very compelling and believable depiction of what uh, a Vulcan is like. Um, Wry humor and a lot of sarcasm and uh, a lot of heart. So Tim Russ, we love you. 
and uh, happy birthday. And thanks for continuing to share your uh, uh, talents on this most recent season of uh, Picard. It was great seeing you again, Tim Russ. Uh, really cool presence. So thank you. A couple more here. John Wheeler. Happy birthday, sir. You made your television debut playing Gav. <laughs> the right in the Star Trek original series, second season episode, Journey to Babel. Where do you stand in Corridon, Starak? <laughs> Nothing like ending up being uh, murdered with your neck broken upside down in Jeffrey's too. Not every actor can say that, John Wheeler, but you do. So congratulations, sir. And finally, happy birthday goes out to the actor Nekar Zadagan, who played Bajazel in the Star Trek Picard first season episode, Stardust City Rag. And that's it for me. Passing it over to Jim. Well, guys, believe it or not, I cut the birthday list by about a dozen names, and we still got a bunch, but uh, there were too many good ones to ignore. So I've got a few, and I've got some good ones, and I have one that I'm going to need some help with when I get to it. So first, I want to say happy birthday to Clifton Collins, Jr., the Emmy Award-winning actor who played Ayal in Star Trek 2009. That was uh, Captain Nero's uh, number one officer. So there you have it. Sarah in DS9's first season episode, Captive Pursuit. She's also the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh and sister of Jamie Lee Curtis, a famous for the Halloween movies. So happy birthday. We also want to say happy birthday to Adam Grimes, who played Lokesh in Star Trek Enterprise fourth season episodes, Cold Station 12, and The Augment. He was the um, Augment that was considered inferior. And if I remember correctly, they had some type of um, derogatory name for him. I think they called him Rodent or Rat or something like that. Um, But that's the guy. So happy birthday to Adam Grimes. Here's a big one that you guys might recognize uh, from a lot of movies, Marvel movies, for instance, maybe maybe uh, uh, Avatar, maybe. But we're going to be talking about her Star Trek appearances. And, of course, I'm talking about actress and model Zoe Zaldana, who plays Nyota Ohura in Star Trek 2009, Star Trek Into Darkness, and Star Trek Eon. Happy birthday, Zoe. We want to say happy birthday, T'Challa Horsdell, who played President Lyra Relic in the fourth season episodes of Star Trek Discovery. He was an interesting character because she was half Bajoran and half Cardassian. Interesting combination. Uh, so happy birthday. We also want to say happy birthday to Marcy Laverty, who played Chief DeFalco in Star Trek The Motion Picture. I just watched that today, matter of fact. Uh, but the interesting fact is that she was married to William Shatner from 1973 until their divorce in 1994. So there's absolutely no nepotism, none whatsoever in Star Trek. The fact that she happened to be Captain Kirk's wife and get the role of Chief DeFalco was because of her excellent acting chops and no other reason. So happy birthday to uh, Marcy Lafferty. And All right, guys. So on Star Trek Discovery, uh, there was a young Takuma uh, who who appears in the episode Battle at the Binary Stars. And the actor's name is Amala 
Nadudmo Ubawanba. Move. I, yeah. Uh, anybody have a better shot at it than that? I'm guessing it's Mpumlawa. Okay. That sounds better than my book. Well, I don't know. Samala Nadudisimo Mpumlawana. Yeah, that would be my guess. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's but you know it's important to to make the effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're you're sound better than me. Uh, he played the young Takuma. Uh, he's the guy that got beat up by the other Klingons in the uh, in the in the cloaked ship. So happy birthday! And the last one on my list, I always do the Klingons last, and this last one also from Star Trek Discovery. We want to say happy birthday to Clara McConnell, the Canadian actress and comedian who played the Klingon leader, Danaeus, in the Star Trek Discovery first season episodes, Battle at the Binary Stars, Lefe, and Will You Take My Hand. For those of you who don't remember which Klingon she was, she was the Klingon that was wearing that gold headpiece, that that dangling gold jewelry that hung down over her face. Um, That was her. So happy birthday. Claire McConnell. Kapla! Believe it or not, that wraps up our Star Trek birthdays. Wow. We had quite a few there, didn't we? We made it. We <laughs> got through it. And now it's time for some Star Trek news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. All right, guys, this is a part of the show where I try to find some Star Trek news floating around the Internet that I think you guys might be enjoyed to hear and also might be relevant to my other Trek experts. So, Eric, you want to get us started with our first Star Trek news story? And by the way, all of these stories that we're about to talk about, you can find in their entirety completely unedited on our Facebook page. This is just the Uncle Jim abridged version. So, Eric, you want to take it away? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So our first story here is just about Strange New Worlds, which is fun since we just got done talking about that. The Star Trek cast on the LGBTQ plus representation on Strange New Worlds. When the Starship Enterprise finally continues its voyage, the loud and proud contingent of LGBTQ plus Star Trek fans will see something very special themselves represented in the 23rd century. I love that we're premiering during Pride Month, says actor Melissa Navia. I feel like our poster is about that too, she adds. Promotional advertisements and videos prominently feature rainbow coloring and graphics. Everybody should be a bit queer, she says. I know I give off this wonderful queer energy. It's just been a part of who I am. I'm queer, says actor Jess Bush without hesitation, speaking about both her own life away from the TV screen and on the Paramount Plus streaming series. I am so delighted that there's more representation for all expressions of sexuality and gender in Star Trek. That's really exciting to me, and I'm really proud to be part of that representation. The Australian native returns as nurse Christine Chapel, who in this incarnation is an openly bisexual character, but still with the hots for Spock. 
Cecilia Rose Gooding is breaking ground in Strange New Worlds as the first queer actor to portray communications officer Nayada Uhura since the death of the trailblazing Nichelle Nichols. As an out queer person, as someone whose relationship with their gender is ever evolving and ever changing, it is so exciting to be part of this, especially playing a role that has been originated by cis women and has historically only been played by cis women. Adding that she is both humbled that she that she is humbled to be trusted with Uhura's story. And so yeah, there you go. I do think that uh, you know, Discovery really kinda kicked that off for me personally, um, with their efforts toward uh more equal representation of, of different folks and different walks of life and uh Strange New World seems to kind of be doing the same thing. It's, it's honestly, I think, pretty refreshing to see, um, you know, a lot more women on the bridge, uh, especially because back in the original Star Trek, you remember that, uh, you know, Pike was a little uncomfortable uh, and still getting used to having women uh, on the bridge. So uh, <laughs> nice to see that, that being updated as time goes by. Uh, my That's my only really major complaint with Strange New World is I feel that they lack uh, diversity on that cast. Um, they, they killed off the blind Andorian uh, character that they had. And they don't, they don't really have a, the diversity they have is 60s diversity, which was great on TOS. But I think it needs to be a little bit more modern for today's audiences. And I think that having so many actors that represent the community is great, but when those when those actors characters don't represent that, I don't think it's quite the same as having the characters represent it. Would you, would you guys agree? I mean, George, uh, Mr. Sulu on TOS uh, didn't come out as gay when he was on TOS, and the fact that he did doesn't really change the character on TOS just because the actor is. So I would, I personally would like to see a lot more representation on Strange New World than what we're currently seeing. Be it a new alien character or, well, maybe Carol Kane, I don't know yet. But that's, that's my take on it. I'd like to see Strange New World do a little bit more. All right, so uh, I'm going to pass that uh, news mic over to Jim then. All right, so the next story I have, Strange New World, Star Trek Discovery's biggest villain mystery. Uh, Strange New World can solve what happened to Star Trek Discovery's Captain Lorca and bring back fan favorite Jason Isaacs. Uh, though it will likely not happen in Strange New World Season 2, the possibility remains that some version of Lorca could make an appearance in the future. With an actor as talented as Jason Isaac, it seems a shame to waste the opportunity to bring back such a compelling character. An appearance on Strange New Worlds would allow actor Jason Isaac to play a different version of the character. Plus, the story of Prime Lorca's time in the Mirror Universe would be a fascinating one to tell. Jason Isaac has represented, has expressed willingness to return to the Star Trek universe and Strange New Worlds could be the perfect show for him to make an appearance. You know, I don't think it's going to happen this season, but it could happen in the third season. We don't know where 
uh, he ended up, actually. And we don't know where Carl uh, sent Giorgio. They could be together right now. We don't know. But I do know, uh, help me out here, Eric, what was the book? Because I'm about to give the wrong title. Or Charles? Uh, It was Drastic Measures. Drastic Measures, thank you. Uh, Drastic Measures answers that question for us. Dayton Ward wrote the book, and at the end they made him put a little three-page epilogue where Prime Lorca wakes up in the mirror universe being tortured. So he, they specifically made a point of pointing out that he is alive and he is there. They don't do those things for no reason at all. So they wanted to make sure that we all knew Lorca was still out there. Why? I don't know. But I would love to see him because we have never seen Prime Lorca. The only Lorca that we ever got to see was Mirror Universe Lorca, evil Lorca, masquerading as Prime Lorca. So I think that's a great idea, and I'm all up for it. What about you guys? I thought uh, Lorca was – is this on? Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. I thought Lorca was great. Um, I, I think Jason I is a, is a terrific performer. Um, I was kind of bummed was that they didn't figure out a way to keep him on as a recurring character on that show because he was just it was so great to have that counterpunch of uh, a more initially ambiguous, ambiguous, and then you know more villainous character. He's terrific. So having that spice in the mix was really fantastic. And I feel like they they lost a lot when uh, when Georgiou and uh, and Jason Isaacs both left the show. Um, uh, I, I think it would be fantastic to figure out a way to, to bring him back, either as an antagonist or as a character in search of redemption. It would be fantastic. So I would be thrilled with that choice. He's cool. And, and you know what, Paul? Every time we, I can't talk about him without talking about the right, Eric, the kick, the ultimate kick. Of course, um, only Giorgio can pull <laughs> off the kick. <laughs> yes. When, when when Lorca is standing behind Giorgio with the sword to her throat and she kicks him in the face and he's behind her. Just every time I see that, I'm like, oh, my God, only Michelle Yeoh, the ultimate Michelle Yeoh, could pull off that kick. Just incredible. Blows my mind every single time I see it. But you're right, Paul. I think that I think that Jason Isaacs is an incredible actor. And I would love to see him back because I think he could bring a lot to the mix because what did his time in the mirror universe, what did it do to him? Did it, did, you know, did it change him? Um, you know, and I think that would, be, that would be a great dynamic to see show up on Strange New World, if indeed they do do that. So speaking, Paul, of Paul, you've got our next story. All right. Thanks, Jim. Let's listen to what Akiva Goldsman has to say, because Akiva Goldsman is not being shy about it. He's admitting that the appetite for a Star Trek legacy spinoff from Picard is undeniable. Now, we all know Akiva Goldsman co-created Star Trek Picard and was also a co-showrunner on season two. But he's got very high praise for season three showrunner Terry Metalis offering his support for the idea of Terry's Star Trek legacy spinoff. 
Well, I think that what Terry did with season three is so extraordinary that I think that the appetite for it is, I think, undeniable. So certainly I'm a huge advocate of some version of that continuing. It was so spectacular, I think, what he did. And so, you know, right now there's no pitching of anything. Right now the world is a, a shut down due to the writer's strike. But, you know, I would really hope – and let me put it like this. I, I signed a petition for Star Trek Legacy too. As noted by Goldman, no development can take place during the ongoing writer's strike, and Paramount is currently more focused on cutting costs to placate Wall Street. Ooh. When things settle down, Star Trek Legacy should be on top of the list for discussions about further expanding the Star Trek universe for Paramount+. Plus. So I saw, I don't think we have an article or a, a story about it, so I don't want to steal anyone's thunder uh, coming up for the next two stories, but I read a thing just really recently kind of... Uh, akin to this that uh of all folks uh patrick stewart is now lobbying the he had such a great experience and feels they did such a good job for picard season three he's lobbying to take bring everyone back together one more time to do that cast in like another farewell appearance as a, as a feature film he'd love to see like everything you did in picard three but do it as a feature to give that chance one last chance to work together. So interesting concept, whether it comes to nothing, you know, we'll find out, but uh, certainly uh, you can tell by what uh, Goldman says and what everyone else is, is uh, pontificating. There's a whole lot of Star Trek uh, in our future. Uh, I think so long as uh, trajectory continues as it is. So pretty, pretty interesting. And I think cause for a lot of celebration. Uh, hopefully they will uh, continue to develop uh that idea that they had about uh, not just doing series, but one-off movies too, because it's a great way to explore other uh, stories within the Star Trek universe that don't necessarily lend themselves to a multi-episode series format. Because I think that would be a a really smart move. They explore that as well. So uh, future looks bright and I got to wear shades. Passing it over to David, David. Well, I want to, I want to say that I did read that article. And I happen to agree. I think that Nemesis was a very weak ending for the TNG. I think the TNG crew, I would love to see a Star Trek six type of ending TNG crew. And we did see, I'm, I'm very happy with the ending that we got on Picard season three, but a movie ending for like the whole world for, you know, a, a big theatrical ending I'm all for that. I, I think that would be great, and I would love to see that. And I think that that would be a movie that uh, that Wall Street would get behind, especially with the success of season three of Picard. I think the the appetite for TNG and Picard and his crew is out there, and I think that that's something they could definitely um, you know do. But again, we're back to the strike. Um, how long does it take to produce a movie from the time that it's written? And we're on a strike right now, so nothing is going to be done. And I've, I've been talking with Leslie Hoffman, and, you know, there's a very good possibility that the Actors Guild is going to join um, the Writers Guild with, a, with their strike because they feel that the actors aren't getting paid properly for streaming either. So we might see uh, an even bigger strike and a more elongated strike, which which would kill not only Star Trek, but everything. 
And when you think about it that way, the chances of seeing Star Trek Legacy or any Star Trek is pretty nil and doesn't look good if the strike actually does grow into a Actors Guild supported strike as well. So we will have to no, I, if, if the, if, But if SAG goes on strike, I think that the pressure of that is actually great because if anything, uh, historically, that's just going to bring both strikes to a close sooner. Uh, I, nobody wants business shut down for a long, exacerbated thing. These things happen every now and then. It doesn't annihilate development. A lot of conversations happen on and it doesn't stop phone calls. I mean, people are like, under the, there's a lot of stuff that happens under the table discreetly. So uh, I wouldn't sound the death knell for anything, and it's not terrible news. I think it's great if SAG joins in because it's certainly a unified uh, appreciation of talent. Everyone gets paid more, and it just resolves the strikes that much faster. So uh, I think that's the best way to look at it, and I think that, uh, if anything, there'll be a little delay. But when you got a good idea that can make you money, <laughs> I don't think you abandon it. You just patiently wait and uh, develop it from another perspective, from another side that you can develop it on. It's like, okay, maybe, yeah, we have, uh, uh, you know, we can't work on drafts of the screenplay, but we can certainly chat to production designers and we can chat with agents and we can do all these other things that involve moving towards getting a project off the ground. So don't lose hope, Jim. That's you're absolutely right. They, there's a lot of things they can do besides writing scripts. Absolutely. So we'll just have to sit back and see what happens. You know, maybe the strike will end quicker than we anticipate. I don't know. I do know. I did read an article though that said that uh, Strange New World season three has been affected by the strike. Um, so that's going to be delayed a little bit because of that but but we are going to get a season three but it's yeah. going to be a i mean look at it way. this way though man look look there was the whole pandemic right i mean massive upheaval oh, yeah. things got delayed but everyone rallied together and figured out a way to overcome it and and use masks and follow protocols and business continued it's really hard to stop a giant juggernaut of business like Hollywood. And it's eventually they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, renegotiate contracts and it will end. Um, my money is if you want, you know, I'm sometimes a betting man, I'm pretty sure that both, if there is a second strike, um, I think both these strikes are resolved by early September at the latest. I, I, nobody doesn't like working right now. It's like most people take off summer anyway. So it's not a huge issue, but you know, I, I think it'll be resolved quickly. I really do. Probably by early September, and then it's uh, back into uh, production again. So I'm I'm really not that concerned about it. Yeah, because back in the day when we got 26 episodes, we didn't get anything during the summer. So you're right. They went on hiatus, and they, there was nothing. So that's pretty much where we are right now. So let's wait and see. All right, David. Are you ready? Are you ready? You ready for the next one? I picked this one. Okay, I'm back. What did I miss? I, I got this one just for you, David. <laughs> I saw this cool. one. And I said, that, that's David. So take it away, nice. buddy. 
All right, here we go. Star Trek Resurgence is a welcome throwback to 90s Trek. While Star Trek has enjoyed quite a long history of video game adaptations, Star Trek Resurgence just released from developer Dra- uh, Dramatic Labs and publisher Bruno's uh, house, hues more closely to the spirit of classic Trek. More focus on exploring strange new worlds and new civilizations and blasting them. If you're familiar with the choose-your-own-adventure flavor of Telltale Games, you'll feel right at home in the narrative-focused gameplay of Resurgence. I gotta tell you, it is a really fun game. I recommend you guys getting it. It's probably the best, closest Star Trek game I've ever seen in a long time. This uh, The game itself plays out largely like uh, an interactive movie with a heavy emphasis on dialogue and relationship building. <clears throat> it feels like an upscaled episode of the classic Next Generation from its wood-paneled Starfleet bridge set to its motley crew of characters. And I gotta say... I recommend it. I can't recommend it enough. It is really good. You guys should get it. It's on PC, through Steam. Um, but actually, no, sorry, not Steam. It's through Epic Games. Um, and uh, right now, I believe that's really the only place you can get it from. So it's really good. It's also on Xbox, PS2, um, and all the other ones. PS2? I can't remember all the names. But... What's that? PS2? Try yes. PS4 and PS5. Uh, We're not okay. making PS2 games anymore. Oh, okay. I thought I read PS2. Maybe it was 5. Okay. <laughs> My brain flipped upside down. But anyways, yeah. So there's a lot of uh, platforms that it's playing on. But unfortunately, it is only going through the epic game that I can find at the moment. So it's well worth getting. So, yep. So, David... Uh, Yes. How long did it take you to go, to work through the game? Is, does it have a high replayability uh, to it, or as you play it once and, and that's it, you're done? Oh yeah, no, it's definitely got a replayability because uh, it's, it's it's very heavy on um, the narrative of um, choices. So whatever choices you make has a different outcome toward the ending, and honestly. Uh, it, it, for, for me, it took about a good three days straight. But then again, of course, you know, I haven't been playing 24 hours. It's basically just, it's a pretty long game. It, it definitely has, it felt very episodic. Every chapter, it goes through chapters. And so every chapter, it's just, it's just like, it felt like a new episode of Star Trek. But it was playing throughout different characters. You're not just playing as one person. Spoiler alert, of course, but yeah, you just you just have to play it. It's, it really felt like Trek, and the uh, the whole idea of it, the uh, what is it, the, uh, the relationship building, and it's not just about bang bang shoot 'em up. You know, that's not really Star Trek. To me, this game on itself plays a lot more like episodic. Like the next generation, like it just says. So it's definitely well worth it if you're a next generation fan. Um, it took place in the era just after Picard, uh, when next generation ended. So it's pretty, 
pretty out there with uh, where it is now. So I would have to say it's probably right around where probably Voyager gets lost sometime after that. So it, it's definitely well worth getting if you're a Next Generation fan. But yeah, I'm not going to really say too much about because there's a lot of a lot of stuff I do want to say, but I don't want to give too much out for spoilers. But yeah, if we have time, David, I guess we can to, go. Well, Oh, sorry, what? Do you, do, you get to, um, do you get to choose a character? Like, could I play as a Klingon? Or do you have to no. do you create your own character? Or how does, how does the characters work? Yeah, you don't create a character. You go based off of the character that, it, you're, uh, that they give you. So there isn't really any character creation. So uh, technically, you're, it, it just, it's, it's basically a story that you follow, but depending on your choices will determine multiple endings happening. So technically, there is no character building that you can do. You just, yeah, you're just going based off of the person that they give you. Wow, it sounds like a, sounds like a fun game. I'll try to track it down on my PS4. Yeah, PS4 and PS5, not two, sorry. <laughs> no PS2, that's a time warp. <laughs> All right, and Charles, that brings us in a full circle right back to you. Okay. Interesting story you picked up, but I think it's a good one. My Star Trek made San Francisco the center of the universe. The simple answer is Star Trek... Creator Gene Roddenberry loves San Francisco. San Francisco had special appeal to Roddenberry because it's na- because it's a Navy town. Roddenberry fought in the Pacific War and World War World War II as a pilot and shipped out of California. San Francisco, out of all American cities in the 1960s, best captured the issues Roddenberry won to uh, do in the show. It was a hub for civil rights, civil rights and anti-war movement. In Star Trek IV, the voyage home, the crew lands a Klingon ship in Golden Gate Park and spends 122 minutes gallivanting around 1980s San Francisco in order to bring a pair of whales to the future. There's a certain iconic symbol that represents humanism, and San Francisco was one of them. And the Golden Gate Bridge is an ideal icon of San Francisco, which is a city that represents humanism in its most significant way. And I rather agree with the fact that it does well rep- it has a good representation of the country. And I think he was, was a good choice to pick in San Francisco. Yeah, and I think I think the 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 image of the Klingon bird of prey kind of uh, flying under the Golden Gate Bridge from Star Trek IV is, is very, uh, it says a lot right there. Yeah. Just in that, just with that image. So I wanted to mention a little something, you guys. I did, uh, you've been hearing about it for ages, but I did a panel at Trek Long Island called Star Trek V, The Final Frontier Revisited. I feel your pain. And the panel was a huge success. And I was a little bit concerned that nobody was going to show up there. 
And um, I had done a panel right before that one called uh, Podcasters Unite. And I was sitting next to a guy from the big sci-fi podcast by the name of Brian. And we started talking about Star Trek V. And he said, well, you're the guy that's doing the panel. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I think I'm going to hang out for that. And I said, well, you know what? Even better than that. Why don't you hang out with me and we'll do the panel. That way we can talk about Star Trek V if no one shows up. Cool. Well, we can talk about Star Trek V. Well, let me tell you guys, not only did not no one show up, but but oodles of people showed up, like lots of people. Like the panel room was filled with people. And so Brian and I were talking about everything about Star Trek V. Um, and it was a nice interactive conversation that was involving the audience. We were, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. And I was totally blown away with the amount of people that love Star Trek V just like me. I'm not alone out there. And that, that was, the, that was the, the, the biggest takeaway is that I wasn't alone out there. There were a lot of people that feel that Star Trek V is wrongly, you know, crucified. And we had a really, really nice back-and-forth conversation about Star Trek V. It was the high, one of the highlights of the entire convention. And I remember when, when Edwin was asking me if I wanted to do a panel because they needed some panels filled, and I mentioned to him, I said, you know, I'd like to do a panel on Star Trek V if it's something you think people would be interested in. I mean, if you feel that, you know, people don't want to talk about Star Trek V and you don't want to put it on the schedule, I'm totally fine with that. And Edward said, no, absolutely not. We'll, we'll put it on the schedule. And he did, and I'm glad because it was so much fun. And you might be wondering... You know, why am I making this up now? Because I did a Trek Long Island podcast on Monday with Stephanie and uh, Matt from Trek Untold. And we talked about Star Trek um, uh, Long Island next year and about the fun we had at the convention. And I made the same offer that I made at the top of this podcast. I said, if you'd like to win a copy of Star Trek Strange New World, you can call the show right now, 646-668-2433. And tell us about your experience at Trek Long Island. Or you can go to trektalking.com, the talkback mic in the bottom right-hand corner, and record a message as to what you thought about Trek Long Island. And I will still send you a copy of Strange New World Season 1 on Blu-ray. So obviously the fact that I'm making a big deal out of this means what? We got a message. So... When my email ding then said, you've got mail, I was pretty excited that someone actually went to the talkback mic. And I was totally shocked and thrilled and happy and excited when I listened to the message and found out who it was from. So I want to play the message for you guys without further ado. And uh, I want to let you know that I, uh, I sent out a copy of Star Trek Strange New World already in the mail. And here's the message that we got at trektalking.com. Hey, Uncle Jim, this is Brian Donahue from the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. And I just want to say that Trek Long Island was fantastic. And one of my favorite parts of the whole convention 
was meeting you, sir. It was such a pleasure meeting you and getting to do that panel on Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. What a thrill it was uh, to see the excitement and energy around this underrated film in Star Trek V. It was really cool to see a room that had a lot of people in it, actually, and people engaging in the topic and interested and agreeing with us that Star Trek V is not as bad as everybody thinks it is. So, loved the convention, loved meeting Stephanie and Edwin and all the actors and the other podcasters like yourself. Uh, Just a pleasure. So, Godspeed, Kapla, my friend. Hope you're doing well. And uh, I really appreciate Brian calling, and congratulations on winning a copy of Strange New World Season 1 on Blu-ray. And that can be you, too, guys. Um, all you got to do is go to trucktalking.com, click on the talkback mic, leave us a message. I'll drop a copy in the mail. It's that simple. So if you're afraid to call, you don't want to let your fingers do the walking and call Truck Talking, you can easily go to trucktalking.com and use the talkback mic. Very easy, just like Brian did. And i got to tell you, all of the podcasters that I met at Truck Log Island were awesome, and I'm really looking forward to next year. All right, guys. Well, believe it or not, that wraps up our, our podcast for tonight. We've got a lot in store for you guys coming up. We're going to be talking about uh, talking to uh, Vadia Potenza, who was one of five actors who played Mr. Spock in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. And he was the 13-year-old Spock in the movie. He's going to be with us on Monday. And he's going to be talking about working with Robin Curtis, working with Leonard Nimoy, uh, what he's up to now. So uh, mark your calendars if you're a fan of Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. You definitely want to join us on Monday and give us a call. Same thing, if you want to call and talk to Vadia, I'll send you a copy of Strange New World on Blu-ray Season 1. We also have, if you guys have listened to the show in the past, Andy Bray, a.k.a. Mr. Chekhov himself. He has a brand new a video out about the Gorn. And if you listened the last time Mr. Chekhov visited with us, you have a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about. And uh, this is called Star Trek Secret. And we learned from Mr. Chekhov himself what it was like dealing with Captain Kirk when he took on the Gorn. So that will be, uh, when is that? Uh, I'm not sure the date, but I don't want to, I don't want to give out the dates because I, I don't want to get them wrong, <laughs> but you guys can go to truck talking and find out the date. That's going to be coming up. And we're July also 10th. in the work. July 10th. Okay. There you have it. July 10th. And I got to tell you that skit is hilarious. I've watched it three or four times and I, I never laughed so hard. Um, I think Andy may have listened to our our uh, our Gornspacular Gornography um, podcast because yeah. a lot of the things that we had talked about. So you guys definitely want to tune in for that. And Andy is a blast. Chekhov is a blast. And you can call and talk to Mr. Chekhov. So that's coming up as well. And I'm also working with getting Josh Durkins on, who worked on Star Trek Attack Wing, obviously but has a brand-new game called Star Trek Discovery Black Alert, which I believe releases next month. And I'm working on getting him on the podcast to talk with us not only about Star Trek Alliance, but also about producing this new Star Trek game. 
So we have a lot going on, as well as our Star Trek Strange New Worlds review. So head over to our TrekTalking.com page and get all the latest info. Well, guys, that's it. Does anybody have anything they want to add before we say goodnight? No? Okay. Well, I want to say thank you so much to our very own Paul from hanging out and Trek Talking with us tonight. Thank you, Paul. Thanks. And I want to say thank you to Eric for hanging out and Trek Talking with us as well. Thank you, Eric. You bet, guys. I had a blast. Thanks. And I want to say thank you so much to our very own donut guy, even though he didn't bring the donut, for hanging out and Trek Talking with us and filling us in on Star Trek Resurgence. Thank you so much, David. You're welcome. But does uh, frozen donuts count? Yes, we we, we we can count those. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And, of course, thank you to our very own Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. It's always fun. And, guys, just remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans. You better believe that. Please, everybody, try to stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage.